I think what's what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, you your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, Marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppSlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsliers.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Twig 107. We've got myself, Joe Kim, Eric Kress, Adam Telfer, and Mishka Katkoff is back. Welcome back, Mishka. Hey, and, good to be back. <laughs> yeah, so today we're going to be covering four articles. First, if you play video games, China may be spying on you. China. Anyway, second, mobile games company Scopely boasts of significantly profitable business as it raises $340 million. Third, what is this? For descenders, it has been immense. Sales across all platforms increased after we went into Game Pass. What does Game Pass mean for indies? Okay. That's the worst title ever, and Eric literally just slipped this in. Like, I don't know if that's a paragraph or a title. Okay, and finally, bringing more franchises to mobile is Activision Blizzard's biggest opportunity, says COO. What's up, guys? And welcome, so, Michigan. So today, since I'm the furthest away from the chaos, so today I believe we're celebrating the worst recruitment process in the world, aka the election. You're, you were able to run this for a long time. You got the two worst candidates out of 350 million. Oh, and, last uh, year, last last time was worse. Last time was much worse. At least, it, yeah, yeah. Last yeah, time was fun. Last time was last time was fun. This is I'm not, not even fun anymore. Politics. Are, we, are we talking politics? Are we went because no? Okay, we said we weren't going to talk politics, so we're not talking yeah. politics. I didn't say. I'm I just want to say, like, this is not the low bar, right? The, yeah. the, the low one was last last four years ago. So yeah. yeah. Well, every every episode, J.K. goes against socialism. Well, the problem with me is I get hate from both sides because I hate both parties. <laughs> so yeah. that's the problem for me. Joe, you're an anarchist. I'm a centrist. Press <laughs> is a conservative Republican. Joe is a man He's of many European. nuances. He's European. <laughs> I will not be categorized. God dang it. <laughs> yeah. Can't categorize me, but yes, I am a conservative. Uh, so right. let's not talk about the election, but what does it mean for games business if one of if for you know if Biden wins or if Trump wins? What are the implications? Probably more Eric. U.S. China stuff, right? If Trump wins, no. If Trump wins, I think we have Tencent will have some serious issues going forward, right? I think in the next four years there will be a, a going against the 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 China regime in our in our industry that's that's kind of what i think but if biden wins i think nothing happens <laughs> that's 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 the only ramification for our business oh and then also like this loot box thing i don't know who i i think again if trump wins then there's more issues around potentially around the loot box stuff i think probably the democrats leave it alone but I, that's un unclear to me as well so or that it is feels like the to me. democrats is like pro big business a party so, well, I mean, they're, um, they're yeah, they're like shills for the tech industry, right? Okay. I think if Biden wins, 
uh, COVID is gonna pretty much end in like a month. They'll be like, "Yep, we solved this. This is yes. the cure." No, I, here. All right. So, so right, that will be bad for games. Let's stop. Moving on. All right. Rubio. We're not gonna talk about this. Let's talk about, about the first news where Eric is gonna most likely roast me. But Adam, go updates. <laughs> So the first update, Rovio sees a drop in revenue. So uh, they saw a decrease in revenue 9.2% year on year. Um, they generated close to 80 million in Q3 2020. Uh, the drop in earnings has been attributed to lower brand licensing revenue um, because you know they're getting farther and farther away from movie releases, big exciting games. Um, and you know, digging a little bit deeper, games revenue specifically saw a decline only of say 3.3% year on year. Um, but that's pretty worrying considering that you know this is COVID and pretty much everyone else has seen a rise. Um, they are scaling uh, small town murders, which is the most successful soft launch so far. I think we covered Rovio, what was it, like six months ago, talking a lot about those different soft launches that they had. This seems to be the one that they see the most promise in. It's match three and story. Overall, the RPI in the U.S. is $3, um, and ignoring actually their soft launch phase because, weirdly, Rovio actually soft launches in the U.S., um, comparing five months to five months, you know, $3. Lily's Garden was at about 4.6 at this point, and Homescapes was at 5.9 in the U.S. by this point. So lower than comps. And in terms of scaling, it doesn't seem like they're being very aggressive. Um, they're roughly at about 10K downloads per day right now. Um, so likely will be a very slow and grow method for this game. Um, and also, um, Rovio's chief exec, uh, probably can't spell, <laughs> I can't say your name probably, Lavaranta. How do you say it? Yeah, that's that's close. Okay, all right. Leveranta is set to depart the company at the end of the year. Um, yeah, so, so go ahead. Uh, and, uh, like my take from this before Eric, like every news that comes out of Rovio is if it's negative, it's my fault. From from this point on till the, like the next ten years, and I'll take it. <laughs> but but before Eric gets to it, I think one thing to say about this is like, well, Kathy is leaving, and I think she had some pretty great accomplishments for a CEO. If you consider it like three big things that happened during her era was IPO naturally, um, the blockbuster movies. So two Hollywood movies, pretty big thing from a, from a small company out of Finland and the overall transitioning to a free to play model from a product model all happened during her tenure. So that's, that's a, that's hats off to Gotti. And, and what was weird when I was reading through this is that they announced the departure of CEO. They announced it, I think, a couple of months ago or a month ago without ever appointing an interim CEO. And I think that's quite interesting choice for a public company. Uh, of course, my fault, this one as well. So, Eric, <laughs> feel free so, to rip me apart. <laughs> so let's let's check the scoreboard here, right? There's like every single in company in this industry is growing during this COVID cycle, except for Rovio. It's like, what kind of damage did you do while you were there? I mean, there must be some <laughs> long-term serious scars to this company if they are like flailing in this type of industry. And it's crazy right now. So- Oh my God. <laughs> I guess, yeah, your damage will be felt for years to come, I suppose. Um, so it is very odd that they did leave the CEO position unfilled or at least like with the interim. And that is not a very good sign because it either, well, it only, it only could mean one of three things, right? One, no one in the board feel, felt comfortable with anybody internally taking over that position, which is fine. Right. But then two, they couldn't find anybody, right. That wanted to take that position or three, there was some super hyper controversial thing that happened to get her ousted that didn't give them any time to look for a potential app. So all three are pretty bad. Or, I mean, I don't know, those are the only three I can think of. But um, and then I was actually looking at some of their games and I, I kind of agree with you. She she seemed to have a pretty good tenure. Like if she had, the, the, the couple of games that she's doing right now seem to be relatively profitable, at least somewhat current to like what's going on with the uh, pop puzzle games and, um, even this hidden object game or whatever the hell that game is, but they seem to be monetizing okay and scaling. Uh, I do not agree with the movie strategy. I do not go, agree with going outside of their core competencies. Uh, you know, it helps the brand, but I don't think they need any brand help really. 
But uh, I don't know. It seemed like they're transitioning. What I do remember is they base, she basically overpromised and underdelivered. And as a as a publicly traded stock, that is like a disaster. That is a disaster. So they wanted to get to thirty percent margins, and they had these targets set, and and she didn't meet that. Not even close. I think they're at like six or seven or eight percent margins or something. So anyway, it is what it is. Um, you know, what can you do? You know, Mishka just destroys things. Oh my God. <laughs> it's all his fault, right? There's nothing to the CEO. All right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Ubisoft, uh, Far Cry 6 and Rainbow Six Quarantine have been delayed past Q1 2021. Um, so Far Cry 6 was set to release in February, um, but Ubisoft now, you know, plans to launch next, next fiscal year. And quarantine was also um, set to launch roughly the same time frame, and now it is delayed to Q2. Um, so both are citing production challenges caused by COVID-19, um, and said that while you know these delays are necessary, um, Siege and Catalog are seeing growth due to COVID, so they can use this to offset the um, uh, you know lack of release. My read. Um, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but Watch Dogs Metacritic was pretty low. I don't know how that's tracking in terms of units. Uh, Valhalla looks like it's going to be much more the same. Uh, we'll see how that release goes out this fall, but just signals continued creative and production concerns for their games. So um, we'll, we'll see. Uh, let, let, let me let me give you the real interpretation on this one. Like seriously, I, there was some production issues, I'm sure, with these games, but I think they saw upside from Valhalla and. And, and catalog and COVID, and they had the flexibility of delaying both these games outside of their fiscal to bolster next year, because next year they have fuck all, right? And so I actually made this call like six months ago that this was gonna happen uh, because it was pretty obvious. We've seen no marketing for Rainbow Six Quarantine at all. Mm -hmm. Far Cry 6, I think they probably could ship that thing because that team is rock solid, um, but they, they must, just feel that they can hit targets without them, and so they're moving on. And I and I I, I do think Watch Dogs is going to be a freaking train wreck. Um, I don't think that game is good at all, um, and it only has a niche following anyway. But uh, do you think Valhalla will will hit expectations? I think Valhalla is going to crush it. Really? <laughs> because, dude, if you think about it, there are no games coming out for these fucking launches, right? The only thing that's going to showcase these next gen consoles and and anything action game to buy. Is is this game? You know, is, is Valhalla? Well, to be honest, likely the cyberpunk delay <laughs> helped Valhalla quite a bit. Of course, right? of course, of course. And 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 you have to remember, cyberpunk does not have a next gen SKU. They just have a backwards compatible current gen SKU. So the only truly next gen game that's being developed with next gen hardware in mind is Valhalla, right? Um, so it's a separate SKU for the for the next gen SKU. So. It is going to be showcasing the tech more than anything else. Uh, yeah, I mean, besides Call of Duty, obviously, but that's oh, and be and besides, you know, your favorite game, Demon Which Souls. One? Demon Souls. Oh, come on, give me. That <laughs> I can't wait for that. Um, anyways, Valve is tightening the rules with Steam China amid regulatory pressure. Um, so now Valve is, you know, requiring developers to gain government approval. You know, standard stuff now for publishing within China. Wait. This um, just changed since we spoke about this like two weeks ago. Just added. Yep. Um, Nico Partners also uh, just mentioned Tencent is, Tencent is now mandating facial recognition on login uh, for their games within China, um, specifically to get ahead of regulators. This is to prevent miners from using players' accounts. Um, and uh, since they have, say, screen time caps there, um, this actually makes sure that miners' accounts are getting capped properly. Uh, Halo Infinite director um, and longtime 343 executive Chris Lee has left that project. And this is now the second <laughs> Halo Infinite director to part in two years. Um, so previously, that was creative director Tim Mongo and executive producer Mary Olson, who departed last year. Um, so this just continues to have some serious issues with Halo Infinite's production. Um, yeah, and I think Lee will definitely be missed. He was there since 2008, and he was on Halo Reach, Halo 4, and Halo 5. Jesus, is this game ever going to come out? Yikes. Moving on, uh, I have a few updates. First, Tencent's Timmy Studio announced on Twitter that they set a new world record of 
100 million average DAU year to date on its fifth anniversary. So pretty crazy. Second, Sensor Tower reported that Among Us was the top mobile game downloads on the global chart for September with nearly 84 million downloads. Of those downloads, 23% were from the US and has, as of today, hit almost 194 million lifetime downloads globally. Third update in its latest 10K filing, Apple reported what could potentially happen if App Store payments change for the company, for example, if Epic wins their court case. Quote, if developers reduce their use of the company's platforms, including in-app purchases, then the volume of sales and the commission that the company earns on those sales would decrease. If the rate of the commission that the company retains on such sales is reduced, or if it is otherwise narrowed in scope or eliminated, the company's financial condition and operating results could be materially adversely affected. So interpret that as you will, but for Apple to report that in their 10K sounds like it's a definite possibility. Uh, and finally, Spotify posted yesterday that they will test a new service that modifies their personalized recommendations for Spotify music. And basically in this model, musicians and labels can agree to give up additional royalty rate in exchange for their music to be given algorithmic priority to be recommended to listeners. So a hat tip on this news to Mitch Zamara for this news. And Mitch also notes that this could be an interesting experiment, especially if you think about how it could be potentially applied to an app store, for example. So if uh, Apple's app store royalty rate goes down, but then they're like, well, you can get preference algorithmically, and then that bumps it back up a bit. How does that compare to like search ads that are already there? Well, think of the margin, right? Like, I mean, if, if I was Apple, I would prioritize the thing that makes me the most money. Oh, of course. Same thing with Spotify, right? But that Spotify, you know, everybody's using that Spotify search because that's the app. That's the entire experience versus Apple currently doesn't really own distribution or visibility. Uh, yeah, outside of Apple. But, yeah, but it's, if you assume that given IDFA deprecation, if targeting becomes harder outside of the app store, and the relative importance of kind of targeting in the app store where they still do have IDs becomes more important. It, it, it could happen. All right, update from my side. Uh, I always wanna kind of bring in one of the mobile games that is interesting in the market. So this time around, I brought in forward a game called Hunting Clash from 10 Square Games. And if you don't know who the hell is 10 Square Games or where they're from, it's a Polish publisher. And before that, they had this game called Fishing Clash pretty similar. Uh, it made about 130 in net revenue till date, 130 million uh, with about 60 million installs. So why this game is interesting is because, well, it recently started scaling. So this hunting clash is now, it's looking to get at the same, like three months in, it's pretty much at the same level with fishing clash at the same point and already at the point where deer hunter 2018 was uh, when it launched. So what I'm looking here is I, I know that Deer Hunter has been in soft launch for quite a quite a while. And this Hunting Clash is a very similar game from a publisher that has done very, very similar game with, with a lot of good success. So I think, yeah, I think this game is, is going to reach pretty much the same numbers as Fishing Clash. I feel like the uh, the audience is quite similar. And um, I think Gree, uh, Gree, uh, Glue will be... Um, We'll be at a point where they have to release rather so sooner rather than later their uh, their latest deer hunter game. No, I think that's actually a really good call out because I think they are pulling the deer hunter game from the store. I mean, it's like barely registering anymore. Um, yeah, and yeah, this, so game, this game is going to take. See, over. here's the irony: this game is is a contemporary version of Deer Hunter, right? But the Deer Hunter that they're building at Glue is exactly the same game they built every time, and so it's like. They're, they're not competitive, you know, with their own franchise and someone's going to eat their lunch, you know, and we're not expecting this Deer Hunter game from Glue to come out any time before the second half of next year. So I think they're they're kind of in big trouble right now. But anyway, moving yeah. on. Yeah. It's a, and also just a smart thing from, from 10 Square Games, like they essentially took in the updated monetization model uh, from, from, you know, the well, tennis clashes there, but before that golf clash. So kind of like the sort of betting model. And, and that was, you know, main innovation. Other than that, you just fish and kill animals. That's fine. You know, same audience, just better monetization. <laughs> hey, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but stay tuned. Some really deep insights coming up after our short commercial break from our sponsor, Exola. That's all coming up after the break. 
nowhere to turn, locked down, danger at every corner. Dang, what game is that? Oh, I'm just reading today's news. Hey, speaking of games, are you done with yours? Yeah, we're pretty much finished. When's it coming out? I'm not sure. We have to figure out distribution, marketing, monetization, all that stuff. Have you checked out Exola? <laughs> Wait, X what? Exola. They're the trusted video game business engine, and they can help you with all that and much more. Get details at www.exola.com. That's X S O L A dot com. You just heard from our sponsor, Exola, the trusted video game business engine. But now we're back. So let's get back to the conversation, starting right now. All right, rolling into the news. If you play video games, China may be spying on you. So Wall Street Journal reports that, and actually the subtitle for this article is, data harvested from game consoles would be far easier to exploit than what TikTok gathers. That's right, people, data from your game console. As if all the boob data from TikTok or your views on cat and dance videos wasn't enough of a national security threat. It's your console data that's really the massive security threat. And the photo they have on this article is actually a huge billboard of Genshin Impact. And even going back to the article, so according to Wall Street Journal, quote, are Chinese video games really a threat to U.S. national security? Yes. China is already using games to spread its soft power and collect data on U.S. citizens as the current administration has highlighted. More insidiously, Beijing's access to millions of gamers' computers gives its spies an unrivaled opportunity to use games to conduct intelligence operations. <laughs> so, guys, I actually pay for Wall Street Journal, actually both Wall Street Journal and New York Times, just to get both conservative and liberal views. And while there's usually garbage articles from both publications, I generally actually like reading a lot of Wall Street Journal articles a little more, honestly, but this article was, to me, kind of crazy. As is typical of a conservative paper, you also had all sorts of crazy asses in the comments that are like ultra-right-wing conspiracy theorists. But anyway, I think what this points to and kind of what you know we've been talking about on this podcast for, for quite some time is that this is where things are headed. I think that Unlike Eric, I do think that regardless of whether it's Trump or Biden, I think there will be increasing conflicts between U.S. and China, probably more if Trump. But I think we do have to expect some kind of splinter net at some point, as has been mentioned before. And so I would just think through for your own game studios what the potential implications, both risk and opportunity, will be if the U.S. and China wars continue. Also, definitely check out the Game Maker's YouTube channel video interviewing Riz Verk, talking about the U.S.-China wars coming up. I'm saying it's coming, everybody. I'm, I'm going to stop harping on this for a while. You've been warned. It may take another two to five years, but definitely, in my opinion, it's coming. Just be ready for it. Why, why are we talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> well, because you, you didn't realize that your game console data is a national security threat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is this seems like clickbait to me, right? Number one, you should be reading The Economist, not Wall Street Journal. Um, but <laughs> no, no shit, China's spying on you, right? Like everyone is spying on you technically. If we're, all we're tracking is, if all we're talking about is analytics, right? But I guess like the, the question of this is like, what are they going to use on that console that's, you know, leveraging my data for evil, right? Like that I buy a lot of games, right? I, I'm going to be humiliated if they actually look at my World of Warcraft days played <laughs> thing, where it's like 365 days played World of Warcraft. Yeah, that yeah. would be embarrassing. But no, they're going to take that. that right? They're going to throw that into the machine learning algorithm, and they're going to be like, "No, Eric, Eric Kress is a real murderer, Eric, loser." Put <laughs> <laughs> so into the loser bucket, all because yeah. of that algorithm. Okay. Damn it! China thinks I'm a loser. My life is over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really, I, I honestly don't really understand exactly what, yeah, what evil is going to be caused by spying on my game activity. I guess you can profile me to death, man. It's actually, I'm pretty, I don't know. I, I, I don't really take all this stuff. Spying on us, right? Like Microsoft's already got this data. And yeah, the dude. data that they're talking about is like my play patterns in Genshin Impact. Is that what they're really talking about? 
Yeah. And Google, Google could predict my every action at this point, right? They could like literally go through the day and say, this guy, he's going to pee right now. He's going to eat right now. He's going to sleep right now. Like I, you know, it's time for a shit, right? You know, like this is like what Google could do knows everything about me. I, am I worried about it? No, not really. You know? So I don't know. Oh my god, we went so sideways. Should we talk about like something relevant? Like maybe that that Scopely just raised another round. So the article is actually mobile games company Scopely boasts of significantly profitable business as it raises 340 million dollars. So mobile gaming giant Scopely has raised 340 million dollars in Series E funding round. These guys have gone through <laughs> through all the letters. <laughs> which is just i mean kudos to the uh, to the leadership they they're just they're crushing like it's alphabet uh so the latest round is widely expected to it to be its last venture funding before the company heads to the public market so let's talk about some facts i'm not going to quote the article anymore because it was um i don't want to say uneducated but a little bit um so some some facts they had eight funding rounds scopely has eight funding rounds with total funding of 998.5 million dollars from 68 different investors now that's 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 a lot of different billion dollars do you know how hard it is to raise a billion dollars well, i mean well there was just a company that raised 100 million at a billion valuation as a, as a seed so no probably yeah that one that's even more ridiculous dude this is the sign <laughs> of the time go ahead uh anyways so they've till they they've done four acquisition so there's fox next uh with marvel Strike Force and the upcoming Avatar game. Uh, they have Digit from Ireland, and they are the ones who made Star Trek. Peer Play, uh, which is, I believe, a UK studio. Uh, they are the behind Scrabble. Um, and that recent one, which Joe did a podcast with, is is do you, do you say Genjoy or Genjoy? Uh, I'm not sure. Probably Genjoy. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> anyway, so so their game is is uh, the one they have multiple different games. So it's a studio in in south of Spain. Uh, and weirdly enough, they did not call it Andalusian or Andalusian Villa. It's called Tuscany Villa. So uh, <laughs> uh, some kind of a match three decoration game. Anyway, let's talk about the growth of Scopely from 2017 to the current numbers. So 2017 to 2018, revenue grew by 56%. 2018 to 2019, revenue grew by 72%. 2019 to 220. So this is just three quarters, not even full year. The revenue is already by uh, 23% up, and we have one full quarter left. When we look at the portfolio, they have top games that generate 83% of all revenues. And Marvel is the biggest one. It's nearly quarter of all revenues. It grew 113% year over year. So you can say that it has been extremely good acquisition, and it really shows that when once Scopely acquired the game, while it was doing great, well, it made $100 million in, in the first year. It has really grown, doubled its run rate under Scopely. And it's still growing. Quarter-over-quarter quarter revenue was up by 11%. The second big game, 20% of pretty much of all revenues, is Star Trek Fleet Command. Um, the year-over-year the year revenue was up by 65%. And that's a lot in a very, very competitive 4X category. And even quarter-over-quarter, quarter, it grew by 9%. Then they have Walking Dead, Yahtzee, and WWE Champions all between 20 to 10% of, of, of uh, overall, overall revenue and all actually declining. So year over year, well, quarter over quarter re revenues have been declining about 10% and year over year, actually only Yahtzee has been able to grow. So to summarize it, what's important to notice? Four out of five, or maybe five out of five, if you count Yahtzee, uh, those games have an IP. And the second thing to notice is that Marvel and Marvel Strike Force and Star Trek Fleet Command are the ones that drive the majority of growth. And these are both studios that Scopely has acquired. And and here's and yeah, and that's why essentially they're raising money to acquire. And finally, what I wanted to talk about is with every company, I'm always always kind of asking is like, how do you make games? Like what makes you different? And with Scopely, I mean, officially it's it's the kind of like three pillars, the studio ecosystem, where they have franchise teams, meaning that they have a team internally at Scopely, and studio teams. So that's a, that it's a team that is working on a game with a studio that, that Scopely has some kind of a deal going on, but they're not actually part of Scopely until 
if everything goes right, Scopely acquires them and they become a part of Scopely, just like digit, just like peer play. The second important part for them is tech platform. So all the game engines and the publishing tools. So essentially they have they have everything they need for user acquisition and live services. And the final one is the operating system, meaning that they're very data driven and and you know kind of like a mobile free-to-play company. But what really makes Scopely unique, in my opinion, is that they they marry IP, a, a top-notch IP, with external sort of an average level developer. As Then they add an internal super stacked, specialized professional team and sprinkle it with a lot of patience. And through that, they've been able to to execute an idea without over-investing into scaling a massive internal team uh, they've been they've been really good at getting these IPs because it kind of builds a moat, so they don't need to rush really anything out to the market. Even Avatar movies are coming in 2022, and they already have a game in soft launch. And what's really good about this is that also when things work out, they purchase the developer on a dime, so they don't don't have to pay like these crazy crazy numbers for a studio that is profitable. So I would say that. If every company, like every one of these successful companies, has a has a core competence, Scopely's core competence is to create an ecosystem. I think that's that's my take on it. And when you look at what makes a successful mobile publisher, publisher, in my opinion, it's four things. It's one, you have to have a genre master. You have to be good at the type of games you're making. Two, you have to be able to acquire users to your games or players. Three, you have to have good life service capabilities so you can actually retain and and grow those games. And four, you have to have a diversified portfolio so that when market shifts and changes and there are new competitors coming in, your whole, whole portfolio doesn't go down like if you would be making only puzzle games, for example. And when I look at these four pillars, I think Scopely has all four of them. And, and it kind of it's not no wonder that they're raising money because they've been really good at acquiring companies. Uh, they are efficient at it. Like, you know, Fox Nest was the only one that they acquired without working with them previously. And uh, I think I think um, the company is uh, in a really good position. All right, my quick take here. <laughs> yeah, look, I think your numbers are a little bit off because I think the concentration in Marvel and Strikeforce is around 66, 70 percent of their revenue um, from an in-app purchase perspective. And I was looking it, through all the years, so you're yeah, I know. But like, what's problem. more important is what's happening right now because yeah. this is what's going to yes. like shape the future for them. You know, Yahtzee is actually pretty good. WWE Champions looks like it's falling a little bit. Uh, and then Scrabble Go and Dice uh, with Buddies are really driving their advertising revenue. So in a sense, you're right. They do have a diverse portfolio, but with the heavy concentration on Marvel and Strikeforce, um, sorry, Marvel and um, Star Trek, Star Trek. Uh, That's those are the things to watch, right? Um so they've been, we talked about this last week, but they have been scaling Marvel Strike Force and Starfleet Command like almost like 50% uh, um, on a run rate basis, maybe even almost 100 for some of them over the past six months. Uh, and, that, and that's likely driving this profitability they're talking about finally, because I don't think they were profitable until they started scaling this since COVID. Um, but the key to their success in the future is basically getting revenue from Marvel and Star Trek, right? And they need to see success from the games that are in development. I think they have like probably, I don't know, five to seven games in development. And then finding also acquisitions to layer on games. And and this raise, I imagine, is probably they have some kind of pending acquisition. So again, I want to be clear on my whole thing with this company is that I was concerned years ago about their ability to maintain a publishing model because I think publishing sucks in this environment. And what I was worried about this, without the means of production, they are not going to have be able to scale profitably because if you're constantly publishing games that you don't own, then they're not that profitable, right? So since that time, what did they do? They acquired both these studios that are driving 70% of the revenue, right? It's no surprise that they're not doubling down on games that they acquired and own, right? And so that is their beachhead. They, you know, 70% of the revenue being driven by these two games. And so now they just need to execute in order to hit their growth targets and to maintain this profitability. So what you do, what I'm going to be doing is watching a lot about how, if they can maintain these revenues uh, for Marvel and Star Trek, and to see if they have anything successful in beta to see if they can scale and justify this valuation. Because even at three, even at their current run rate, well, if they can maintain their current run rate, then maybe 3 billion makes sense. But it's just, 
it's going to be hard. It's going to be so hard to like, we're going to be talking about this like six to eight months from now and, and we'll see where they're at. Right. It's going to be this long drawn out thing and it's going to be interesting and uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens, but that's more exactly power to right? Like that's exactly the point. It's like, do you believe that this like 900 million run rate can sustain and grow for years? Right. Cause that, that's assuming that IDFA and COVID don't decline, don't cause any decline in that current run rate, right? That's a, that's a big if, right? Um, no, I agree. And and all their new games are going to be completely, it's so challenging with IDFA changes. So, yeah. Yeah, well, Tuscany Villa might be challenging, but every other game has an IP, which is good to remember that even with IDFA depreciation, if you have a big IP, you're able to go quite broad. Who knows? Honestly, I, I can't. Yeah, uh, I don't know, dude. I mean, you got to find the JK whales. JK knows. JK you got to find the guys with dollars. Yeah. yeah. But He's, I do have to give it to Scopely, right? Like, they, so far, it looks like Marvel and uh, Star Trek have only benefited from COVID. They've not declined where a lot of other companies have actually seen decline since COVID. Um, so I still expect them to come back down to earth from this valuation. Um, and it looked like, I think on two or three podcasts ago, like I was a pretty big grump about Scopely and this race, right? Um, I raised my concerns with this aggressive of a race with their history of being barely profitable. And this right, well, that, make, make, we should make it clear that's speculation, right? Like we don't... It's, spe it's speculation. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yep. And also on the back of their Series D like a year ago, right? Um, but to be honest, like the, the market doesn't agree with me. So I guess... I will just kind of shut up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys are talking like what happens if they don't grow, but I was kind of going through the numbers of the last four years, the last five years. They've consistently pretty much grown every year. Yep. And out of the games in soft launch, I would mention Avatar, which is a very interesting one coming out. Especially that since game, there's so that game has been in development for like eight years, dude. I was there at Kabam when the shit was in development, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. The movies the are Avatar coming out is now. not a good. It's the not movies. a good IP. I didn't agree with that IP then, and I don't agree with that IP now. I'll I don't see think you, it's I'll see you in the movies, Eric Kress. I'll see you in the movies. Oh, I don't like, think I don't do. the movie's going to be incredible. <laughs> I don't think that translates the game. Not even one. They're making like four new movies, right? They just finished filming number two, and they're doing like how many? How many episodes are coming? Like it's going to be like a bombardment about that. I, I right, don't know fine. how you make a sequel to Pocahontas, right? Like, <laughs> how do you make four sequels in that world? I don't know. And keep them going. I'm going to be a bull. I'm going to be a bull. Do, do you guys actually know with this raise, was there any, like, additional clauses for the new investors coming in? Or was this, like, Yeah, a they sent us the, uh, the papers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're their first Speculation call. at least, yeah. right? Because, yeah, we like, usually go through those papers before uh, before we make the podcast. So it's, yeah. it's all kosher. We yeah. like them. Well, yeah, yeah. the other... The okay. other thing is that for them to really scale, like even with the dollars that they just raised, I don't know if there's, it's big enough to really acquire something that that's material. Now, having said that, they did acquire uh, Marvel for around this range, this price point, right? Um, yeah. But that was a special circumstance in, in all honesty. Um, but I, I don't really know what else is out there. And I've been spending a lot of time on it, but it, there's not a lot. But, but that's that's really interesting about Scopey is that they – if you're in the speedy world and you're talking to various different studios that are doing outsourcing or, or not even outsourcing um, development for other companies, you'll notice that out of those, all the top companies are pretty much working with Scopely. There's at least one project that they're doing with Scopely. So they have a lot of things going on. Like that, That's my experience. Every time we were talking to somebody, they would say, oh, yes, so we're open for another project. Well, we have another project going on with Scopely. And these were pretty good studios. So... I think they have a very interesting model where they kind of kind of get to try out with certain studio. And then through that, they have an, uh, I don't know what the contracts look like, but it seems like they have a way in that is a little bit cheaper with the studio as soon as they prove themselves. And that yeah, is a no, very interesting yeah. model of, of acquiring. And instead of just, you know, looking at, looking at the numbers that everybody else is seeing and it's kind of coming in late, unless you're a mediation platform that, that has a, a unfair advantage of seeing everybody's traffic. Yeah, yeah, I'm with Adam. I'm a little bit more of a grump on this deal just because, well, one, I think that, so they've, just to give management their props, they've done an incredible job on revenue growth. But I do think that at this current scale, unless you have that mega hit, that revenue growth is probably going to be challenged in 2021 and 2022, certainly. Unless you somehow, and you know, I think that's what that's what they're banking on is this next raise is going to help them 
acquire that mega hit that will allow them to grow. But I think that what we're talking about right now is we're talking about a moment in time. This right now, historically, is the best time to go public ever in the history of the universe. <laughs> and they're doing a raise and they're not, and, and with these SPACs that are going public on like 50 million annual run rate, I think there's a reason they didn't go public, right? So I, again, you know, I, now I've got all that scope of guys hating me, but I do think that they are a little bit challenged. I'm increasingly, I root for everybody and I, I really wish them the best, but you know, I, I do think that third-party publishing is a little bit challenged right now. I, I hope somebody figures it out. I'd love to see Scopely acquire second-party publishing. Like, this is like second-party publishing. Okay. So yeah. Well, I mean, even even then, I think it's challenged, right? I mean, it, it, it is challenging. And uh, I, I hope they succeed. Yeah. It's safe to assume that maybe they're going to acquire one of these second parties because they see some kind of you know profitable game in their future. But I, I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, look, Look, it's going to be an interesting story to watch. Uh, I, uh, like I said, I did talk to Javier um, a few a few weeks ago, and so and, and got kind of the pitch. And I'm impressed. The the one thing that I will say, compared to like Rovio or Glue, for example, <laughs> these guys have a shit ton of stuff that's in the pipe, right? So they have tons of shots on goal that could be successful and actually scale, right? You can't say that about. Come on, dude. You can't say that about Rovio and Glue. They got fuck all, right? And so if, you know, like if they have like eight or nine shots on goal, then 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 maybe there's a chance that they build a scalable game. But like, you know, Rovio and Glue have fuck all, right? All right. So moving on. So All right. All righty then. <laughs> all right. So. All right. This article is basically when, when, I, when I read it, it was like in conjunction um, with the uh, what's that successful game among us. No, not among us. Gosh, darn it. Anyway, the point of the story is what does all these subscriptions that are out there? What impact is that going to have on indies? That's kind of the nature of this article. It was from business news or something like that. Right. And basically, it's a bunch of publishers that are talking about how things have changed with their games based upon being added to the subscription. So, you know, the article talks about uh, how the subscription services are pushing uh, Game Pass and then and also with PlayStation Plus, et cetera. And, and now EA Play is joining that as well and joining Game Pass. And so we have all this content being given in these subscriptions um, and then Bethesda acquisition. And so it's just a ton of content that's being delivered through these subscriptions, right? And so a few guys from the from the uh, from the uh, independent studios that were part of this Game Pass saw a huge increase, not only to what they were doing within the Microsoft Game Pass, but outside of, of that Game Pass on Steam, et cetera. Um, and then also, it seems like most people are saying, obviously, it's a very positive thing for their overall sales and interest in their IP from being part of these game passes. So, and then the article continues to say what the potential negative is, is that Microsoft becomes what somewhat of a gatekeeper um, and they may be more incentivized to bring more AAA product as opposed to uh, smaller titles um, because the more games that you have on a service like this, the less visibility you get for the bigger titles. It's basically discoverability is always an issue and that is a huge issue that that the playstation um uh what do you call it the uh shoot i always forget the name of that but anyway the playstation streaming service had was that there were like 800 titles on there and you couldn't find jack shit right and and and, and also they did a terrible job of 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 doing that uh, marketplace as well so anyway the point here is here's my thinking on this and this is what i wanted to get across is like in general, by offering so many games for free, it's going to hurt indies, ultimately, right? If there's so many options of games that are free to play on these services, customers will not try to find new experiences or, or venture out beyond what is available to them. I think that's at one point. Two, Sony, Nintendo, and, and Microsoft are all going to become the gatekeepers of what games are promoted and shown on the, on the cycle. And they're, and they're incentivized to promote their own subscription services. And so it is great for games that are chosen to be part of this service, but it's not good for games that are outside of this service because, again, there'll be just so much content available for these subscribers. Um, and finally, uh, 
I think indie games in general are going to have a really tough time and likely will have to start shifting to free to play to get more discoverability because small single player budget style games or budget games like, you know, double A and single A are, are going to be real challenge in terms of getting on to these subscription environments, right? Because they're not going to be competitive with AAA. Um, so I'd love to get Adam's thoughts here because he's probably thought about this a lot more than I have. So, but I think overall with all the subscriptions available, I think it's going to be challenged to break through for a lot of these indies and, you know, the hardware manufacturers are going to be focused clearly on AAA to drive their subscriptions rather than having thousands of indie games, um, and, and clogging up discovery. So what, what do you think, Adam? I see a lot of issues with, um, say, asymmetric information where you think of yourself as an indie, say you're um, a, a successful enough indie that you've got a little bit of a track record. You've got a game that you know will be able to sell some units, right? Um, right. So you go to Microsoft. Now they have a black box of a subscription base where they can use that, use the numbers they think that game will make and basically negotiate with that that indie knowing all the information versus the indie having very little right it's the same type of thing as say netflix going out and buying a tv show um when they have all the information about what value that tv show will actually bring to the service right so as an indie a very small indie right i don't i, I think they're they're going to be taken advantage of by by microsoft right and especially as more and more games go into the service and say they have such a high amount of subscriber of, of subscribers um indies will be forced to go into this and and i think right now most of the money is just coming from that high upfront number um so i see those negotiations as pretty you know lopsided towards microsoft um but yeah in terms of indies and where they go right like if if you're not within the subscription service, I, I just don't see them. Like I, I just see them struggling with the 10 to $30 price point. I don't see them going anywhere else. Um, but I guess my question though, is to Joe, right? Like you're the one person on this podcast that I think um, is the only one that actually can use game pass, right? Like I have it, but I don't use it because I did better games elsewhere, right? Like you own an Xbox you're you don't buy any games <laughs> so, so, so you GTA play, five, like last week you, you, bought, you, see yeah. Yeah, you can get gta 5 for free dude on yeah, epic, it was on epic. <laughs> this, get a, a pc late, dude stop running max <laughs> uh but yeah so you have game pass what how much use did you actually get out of it do you feel uh, like it's a valuable i mean it was a it was value for me because i wanted to play the star wars squadrons game and i knew i wasn't gonna <laughs> i knew i wasn't gonna play it that long and it's not worth paying for the full game so so i basically yeah i mean i've used game pass before but i don't use it much and i'm gonna let my my subscription is ending soon so i'm gonna let it expire but it's pretty good value, if, especially if you're going to play in bursts. But I think for someone like me, I'm not going to keep it. I'm not going to keep the subscription live for a really long time. I'll probably use it, play, and then, you know, just, just do that for a month or two months at a time. But I think that kind of supports Eric's point, right? Like the only content within it that actually drove you to use it was a tentpole AAA title, yeah. right? Squadrons. And um, I think as an indie game, right, like trying to get visibility, right, there might be some people that are trying stuff out within Game Pass, but the reality is, is that Microsoft will be focusing their spend on acquiring great games that can drive people to actually, you know, subscribe to this service. It'll be closer to Disney Plus with Mandalorian than it will be, say, like a Netflix who can acquire all these different chiefy shows. They need the tent poles in order to drive the subscriptions. Yeah, I mean, look, I'll be clear here. I, I don't think the indie, indie scene is very, very uh, uh, robust now, you know, but I think with subscriptions, it makes it worse, right? Because there's going to be no focus on indie games for these platforms. They're all going to be focused on user acquisitions through big AAAs and indies are going to be an afterthought. And it's, I'm not going to say it's going to be bad as Apple Arcade, <laughs> just triggered again, but like if, you know, App Arcade was like total, like when the music stops, like you guys are totally screwed, right? Because that made, that model made no sense. This will be a successful model, I think, in general overall. But my point is, is that Sony, uh, Microsoft and Sony can start, you know, giving indies some dollars in order to make games, but that's not going to last because that's not what's going to drive subscriptions, right? They're going to do it initially. And then when the, when the, when that fucking music stops, 
they're screwed again, right? And so, I don't know, being in India is just really, really tough in this space because it's consolidating so so tightly against the big triple A's and, you know, the big successful free to play games, like, you know, obviously like uh, Fortnite, et cetera. Um, I, I guess what the point I wanted to make is that subscription services do not help Indies. It's, it's actually, I think will likely make things worse, but that's something I, you know, again, like I want to track and see if, if we see any success outside of that. And if you push things to like among us and, and, and more free to play type models and, and build outside of, you know, that, five to twenty dollar price point i mean i think that's more of a successful strategy going forward as an indie um you know to hope to, to you know strike gold there but um but i think yeah i think the a and double a is just gonna be harder and harder i just don't see indies ever being able to run a successful free-to-play service on hd just don't think it's the same thing as mobile uh, yeah you're probably right you're probably right um, okay, so let's go to the last article. So um, this is from Gamasutra. Bringing more franchises to mobile is Activision Blizzard's biggest opportunity, says the CEO, COO. So um, recent earnings call from Activision. So non-GAAP revenues for the third quarter ended September 30th were up 38% versus $1.28 billion a year ago. Now is at $1.95 billion. And while non-GAAP earnings per share was uh, now 88 cents. This is compared to 38 cents a year earlier and compared to analyst expectations of 65 cents. So um, great earnings call. Um, and the CEO, Bobby Kodak, said that the company is raising its expectations for the full year results. So all great news for Activision. Um, the big news was the confirmation that Call of Duty Modern Warfare and Call of Duty Mobile were really driving demand for the quarter. Um, very much so on the the former than the latter. I think Modern Warfare has just been on such a crazy tear this last year. Um, and both are driving more than three times as many MAUs as compared to the titles that came out last year. So that's Black Ops 4, sure. But if you look at the tail of Black Ops 4, that's pretty standard for Call of Duty premium games versus Warzone, which went free to play, right? The tail of that has just been amazing, right? Like you look at Twitch, it's up. Um, tail is very, very steady. The units for Modern Warfare have grown even late in this cycle, likely because people are actually converting from Warzone up to uh, the premium game. Mao is up, of course, because you're free to play and live revenue because of that Mao is just through the roof. Um, they've already started integrating Cold War into Warzone, and I think they actually confirmed today that they're not moving engines, but they're going to try to integrate these two things as much as possible. Um, so they can, you know, upsell from Warzone into Cold War, uh, which will be the game this year. Um, going over to mobile, they reported 300 million downloads. Sensor Tower had it as a little bit lower number, um, so I'm assuming they'll do some corrections there. And Sensor Tower puts it at roughly about 330 million in net revenue for its first year. Um, so they actually tracked to 1.3 in RPI globally, and that compares to the one dollar I predicted. Uh, about a year ago, and that's including a $3.30 RPI in the U.S., so um, actually amazing performance for a cosmetic-based economy. Uh, also, Call of Duty Mobile is about to release in mainland China, so I think they just did a big open beta, and I think 15 million people um, from this call have actually pre-registered for the game, which is incredible, right, considering that 80 million downloads um, you know, like the 300 million downloads of so far, right? Like that, that's pretty impressive. Um, on the call, they were just teasing a lot of the value of their franchises for mobile and the free-to-play. And I think that's what the, the article really focused on. But the question is though, outside of Call of Duty, do they actually have the games that can leverage mobile and free-to-play, right? Or are they going down the same path as Nintendo just went down? Because COD Mobile <laughs> certainly gives them confidence, right? To, you know, deliver... PC console-like experiences on mobile, right? Uh, but what path do you choose for all these different IPs? Do you do cross-play like Fortnite? Do you do singular releases, separate releases like Call of Duty? Do you partner or do you build internally, right? Um, Activision Blizzard franchises that are likely for this treatment, right? Like Call of Duty is now done, but they're also talking about Warzone having its own uh, release, which gets rid of Timmy out of the equation, right? They had Destiny, but Destiny's now gone. So that's out of the question. So you're really only looking at Blizzard. So Diablo, 
4, Overwatch 2, World of Warcraft. And I would say none of these are really free to play and none have a street, strong free to play model that they can attach to, uh, unlike Call of Duty. Because two of these are actually PVE services, which is very different from COD Mobile and likely why projects like Diablo Immortals have been a production nightmare and the team has not decided on how to monetize the game, right? World of Warcraft as a proper free to play, I just don't see is working. So that kind of crosses off two. So the only one with the easiest chance there is Overwatch, which is PVP focused, has a cosmetics based economy, opens to lots of different modes and interesting live content. This seems more interesting, but at the same time, you know, like comparing the, con the HD um, PC console version and the mobile version, you're going to need a very, very heavy cadence of modes, content to keep people playing. So where could Activision likely be going to take advantage of mobile? I would say in summary, one, COD Warzone. So some sort of cross progression thing with PC console that has to be developed by Infinity Ward. Number two, Overwatch 2, sure, cross progression with PC console, but then that's got to be developed internally. That's going to be difficult. And then, of course, the project they're currently working on, Diablo Immortals, which is partnered uh, in a new game economy, which was the right approach, but as we know, is very intense to pull off. Uh, Eric, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I, I generally don't try to comment on any of the bigger names that I cover, but I'll just say quickly, you know, Activision doesn't really have any capability of building games internally on mobile. So, you know, partnering with NetEase makes sense uh, for, uh, you know, their Diablo Immortals, and then obviously with Tencent with um, with Call of Duty. Uh, <laughs> it just doesn't feel like they're having much success here, right? So Diablo Immortal was this constant delay. You know, it was supposed to be supposed to come out last year in October, just to be clear, right? It was supposed to be in beta last October during uh, BlizzCon. So they are still struggling with that. Overwatch 2, there's no effing way they are doing a cross-platform PC console. Um, there's just no way. They These people, Blizzard is losing people in droves. Like, there's no chance they can execute against that. They can't even execute against the PC console skew, much less this. Um, so I think what he's saying is totally true. They have opportunity there. I just don't know how they're going to execute against the opportunity. And actually creating a Call of Duty Warzone mobile game does that even make sense? Like to do to separate the markets between two different games? Like, I don't know. That appeals like off. What's that? It's coming regardless. Yeah, it doesn't make sense though. That that's a disaster waiting to happen. And then finally, out of all this discussion, right from the company from Adam, where the fuck is King? Right, we're not even talking about King because King's been fucking in their lane for like forever, dude. They can make puzzle games, and that's it. Like the the whole synergy behind King and Activision was about building out beyond puzzle games. But man, they are just in this lane, just going straight down the highway, and they're going, and now they're starting to just go straight down into the dirt, right? So uh, anyway, you know, with, with all the competition and puzzle, like King is not looking so so sexy right now, dude. But uh, they'll they'll maintain their profitability. They'll be this cash cow forever. But anyway, I've I've said too much about Activision. You want to know more about what's going on in Activision? Give me a shout. The biggest issue that Activision has is that the King is the only one that is focused on mobile game development. And as we know, King has proved a little bit unable to scale anything but the Saga games. Even the Knighthood RPG games, which was really solid and fun to play and looked gorgeous, did not scale at all. So when we look at Activision's biggest title, Call of Duty Mobile, it's made by Tencent's Timmy Studio. And according to rumors, aka JK, the revenue split, this is just a rumor, <laughs> is 50-50. So... You know, it's it's no wonder that they're looking to internalize these resources to get a to get a bigger split of the uh, of the amazing franchise that they have. So, the way these games are built is that they have the publishing side in 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 the U.S. probably in Santa Monica, and they have development in I don't know where Timmy is, but somewhere in China, probably South China. And what that leads to is that they will have the tools and. They lack the tools and the ownership of the production, but they kind of have the expertise on, on publishing. And same thing is happening now with Blizzard, where the NetEase studio is making Diablo 4. And essentially, you know, the Blizzard is doing just the, um, just the publishing and maybe some design consultation side. So when a company takes over, when big company takes over the, the development themselves, companies like Activision, they tend to go in by scaling up internal teams. And that is 
very slow because the teams need to be very large. And it's incredibly costly because it will take a long time before the teams become actually well-functioning and they might never even become well-functioned just like we saw with Crucible and some of the Amazon games. So in my opinion, um, I think it would be worth looking into the Scopely model for Activision to scale their internal production. What I mean by that is they do have the publishing expertise. They've built that now with Call of Duty Mobile and, and most likely will do that with Diablo 4. Maybe Activision should be looking at some of these external studios, start doing projects with them, and then if they're able to execute, Activision could acquire them at a lower price, but they would already, in fact, know how to work with these studios. So that will be the way to build an internal internal studio ecosystem. I don't know. This is just um, just just my opinion. All right, I think that is it. So with that, thanks guys. Have a good election day. One one more thing. I looked at the numbers. Rovio's Angry Birds Two is actually being growing significantly, and that's their number one title. So Eric, you're wrong on certain things. So. <laughs> All right. It's <laughs> really sad. <laughs> he was he was very aggressive towards. I'm just always trying to look at the uh, the good side of things. All right. And with that, have a good week, everybody. Till later. Week. Catch you later. Bye.